0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and today we are going to go real deep into training once again. So today is part four of the program design series. I hope you guys have been loving this. I've been getting a lot of great feedback. Um, this has been a, a, a month-long journey, uh, a four-part series. I really enjoy these because we can just build upon them. But I want to hear your feedback, guys, so make sure you do me a huge favor. Go into the link uh, in the description of this podcast that says Ask Boom Boom. It's usually for our Q&As. But send me some topic ideas. I would love to tear apart another topic, set up another four-part series. We have some ideas, but... We haven't started recording part one yet. So if you hear this and you want to give me some feedback and you want to tell me what you would love me to dive into and it's worthy of multiple parts in a series, we'll put it on the list. If not, it might be a one-parter and we'll still put it on the list to, to try to give you what you are after. Now, I do want to cover uh, real quick excuse me, what the uh, part one, two, and three were about, just in case you missed those, and I highly recommend you go check those out. Um, You can definitely listen to today's before those if you haven't. However, I would say that today is going to make a hell of a lot more sense if you jump into the first ones first, So just because it is a building series. Uh, Part one was assessing the client and setting the goal or timeline, Um, and we talked about goal setting, mobility and flexibility, instability and weaknesses, injury prevention and posture, and Uh, RPE, RIR, effort, really just diving into assessing and educating the client before getting into programming. Part two was determining volume, intensity, and frequency, which we dove into determining specific goals. So what do your goals require in regards to Uh, volume, intensity, and frequency, and then also uh, your current volume. How do you assess that? How do you choose your new volume? How do you estimate uh, your maximum recoverable volume, intensity, and frequency? What rep ranges to program and a little bit of periodization. Part three, we dove into exercise selection, sequencing, and progression model, uh, which was much more detailed into the specificity or the individualization of the client. We talked about specific goals Uh, or how our specific goals have an influence by exercise selection, um, exercise sequencing, and the progression model we choose. Um, Limb lengths, mobility, experience, flexibility. And then we dove right into my model of uh, actually programming any type of workout, which is prime, explode, lift, stretch, fatigue. Uh, There's no fancy acronym in there yet. I need to figure out one. Um, Unless we go PELSF, (laughs) but uh, I don't think that's the right one. Uh, So if you guys think of a good, acronym where I can change prime explode lift stretch fatigue let me know but that's that's what it is right now and then today is part four we're going to dive into periodization tempo rest supersets and a little bit of aerobic training which we're going to save mainly for a new the the next another series or another podcast just because aerobic training cardio it, it's it's a very large world uh, if we just consider conditioning in general but we're going to dive right in so the first topic of today is going to be periodization because uh, you know, this was actually going to be a part of part three, but it ran a little long, uh, which comes to no surprise for anybody who knows how I like to educate and how I like to talk on the mic. Uh, but periodization uh, is going to be the first thing. So periodization plan and progression model. And, you know, first and foremost, why is this important? Well, the reason it's important is because this is our scientific way of accomplishing results long term. This is literally the way that we make sure that we are progressing week after week, month after month. This is the way that we build on top of something and and uh, progress. Right? If we don't have a periodization plan, we really don't know what is happening beyond today's workout or this week's sessions. And we got to remember that today's session bleeds into tomorrow's session, and this week's total training leads into next week's total training, and the accumulation of the next two to four weeks should ultimately build up into the next two to four months, which could really build up into the whole year. Like if you have a larger view, bird's eye view of your calendar and really look at your training, this is where things start to evolve and adapt quicker, better, more progressively. And you're going to get better results because we're looking at this on a larger scale. And that's really the key here, right? So Something to consider uh, diving into periodization and progression models is, number one, um, I might use some terms. So we're going to go over some terms before I get into the actual periodization uh, details. Now, we did cover progression models last time a little bit. We talked about linear, we talked about double progression, and we talked about daily undulated and weekly undulated periodization, which are all progression models, which fall into periodization a little bit so we're going to repeat some of what we already said a little bit um, and we're going to dive into them a little bit deeper today as well but it's something that is worth covering twice and kind of overlapping so some of what I say might be repetitive some of it might be new but I don't think it's a bad idea to refresh your memory and dive into those things because when we look at planning training out it's it's probably the most important factor outside of just making sure that you're working hard and you're executing exercises properly so you're not getting injured right um But with that being said, we have to know what a microcycle, mesocycle, and macrocycle are. Um, There's a lot of different timeline definitions that can be placed in here. But to kind of give you the most general and and best understanding of what micro, meso, and macrocycles are, a microcycle is your your training week, right? And the reason I think it's important to understand this is because not always is a training week going to match up with a calendar week. So a lot of people think microcycle, week of training, you know, Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday. If you're doing six days, you're taking Sunday off. That's a typical microcycle. However, we have certain people who uh, can only, like because of their job and travel, maybe they can train four days a week sometimes, three days a week sometimes. Sometimes they get screwed, to can only train twice. Some days they have the whole week off and they can train five or six. So when we look at a micro cycle, we can be more specific with how much training they're getting done in the long term and we can be more focused on uh, sessions being done Per macro cycle or mesocycle, which I'll get into a sec, and less focused on I train every Monday and Tuesday. And I think it's important because for example, if somebody can only train twice a week, some weeks, four days a week, some weeks, and their goal determines that they should be doing an upper lower split. Well, a micro cycle of an upper lower split is four sessions, really. It's it's session A, B, C, D, upper, lower, upper, lower, right? Upper lower one, lower, or I'm sorry, yeah, upper, lower one. Uh, upper lower 2 so two sessions of lower two sessions of upper you might do monday thursday and then not be able to train till next next week right you're only halfway through your microcycle so that microcycle ends up being 9 to 10 days because you go monday thursday monday tuesday right so now you go from monday to tuesday that's 8 days in your microcycle and then you go thursday friday uh, and then you're back to Monday, Tuesday. So you might have some weeks where your microcycle is longer, some week where it's shorter. We also can consider if somebody has multifaceted goals or they have a hypertrophy-based goal and they want to follow a push-pull legs um, or a three-frequency upper lower, but they want to take more rest periods. Now we're having eight or nine-day microcycle just for rest periods, right? So this might look like Upper, lower rest, upper, lower rest, upper, lower rest, upper, lower rest. And you're repeating this 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 pattern of upper, lower rest, upper, lower rest. Or push, pull, legs, rest, push, pull, legs, rest, right? And you can even do push, pull, legs, rest, push, pull, legs, rest, push, pull, legs, rest. Push, pull, legs, rest and that's a, a full microcycle, right? That's 9, 10, 11, 12 days in a microcycle. And maybe you're doing that because uh, push, pull, legs, Number one, the first sessions of those, maybe those have a little bit lower reps, the second ones have moderate reps, and the third ones have really high reps, because maybe you have a multifaceted goal, or you enjoy training in the three to five rep range, but also want to have a day of metabolite training where you're training in the 15 to 25 rep range for everything, right? But you're hitting all the muscle groups in each of these ranges. That's somewhat of a weekly undulated periodization, but the point is, is a microcycle is a training week, not a calendar week, and you can spin this so many different ways. A mesocycle is a training block. So typically, that is four or I would say three to six microcycles. So whether your microcycle is a calendar week or not, you have your training week, right? So your first training week not calendar week, training week. Um, and for some people, that is, is a calendar week. For myself, it's very easy to adjust my schedule based on my training needs. Therefore, my micro cycle is literally a training week. It's, it's Monday through Saturday. Then I take Sunday off. That's my training week. So for me, it's easy to say. And for a lot of people, it is. So I don't want you to overthink this. But a mesocycle is the combination of three to six of those training weeks. So we have three to six weeks and then we change it. For me, I typically do three weeks for a lot of my clients and for myself because three weeks is a good amount of time to progress, really push it and not get too bored of the program before wanting to change it because we're humans, we get bored, we like novelty stimulus, mental stimulation from training as well. So this might be week one, two, three, boom, that's it. It might be one, two, three and then fourth week is a deload and that's really common for a lot of my clients as well. But let's say it's it's four weeks just to make it a month. That's a mesocycle, right? Um, sometimes mesocycles can be up to six weeks depending on your progression plan or what you're after. Or if somebody takes longer to progress, they have more uh, room to grow or they just don't like change that often. It's a personality type thing as well. And some people just enjoy keeping it the same so that they can get more comfortable with what they're doing rather than changing it constantly because that actually creates training anxiety for them because um, it's uncomfortable. So uh, a mesocycle is the combination of three to six mesocycles or, tr- or sorry, microcycles or training weeks. And a mac- macro cycle is the big pair. Right. Typically, that's a year. Right. But it could be realistically, it could be three months, six months, whatever. How long is this going? Right. So if I have somebody on an upper lower plan and I'm planning on them following this upper lower split for six months and I have an accumulation phase, an intensification phase, or I just have a weekly undulated, but we're planning out long term thinking six months, their macro cycle is six months long. Right it's just a big picture. What does this bleed into? Typically for an athlete in powerlifting or, or Olympic lifting, which is where a lot of these terms came from, this would typically be a full year of training, and they map out the whole entire year um, as far as volume, intensity, and frequency. Maybe not the nitty-gritty exercise changes and tweaks because those are very uh, reactive as you go through because things change, people get injured, so on and so forth. However, uh, a typical athlete like that will look at the whole calendar year and they know when their volume is going to be at its peak, when their intensity is going to be at its peak, when they're testing their lifts, when they have competition, stuff like that. So it's a full year. Now, we discussed periodization plans in the last one briefly, uh, but I'm going to touch on them again uh, in the and just break down some research on it. So I'm going to link these research studies in the uh, podcast. But the three that we're going to talk about is, you know, if your goal is strength, I'm sorry, strength, hypertrophy, and concurrent are the three goals, which we touched on, But for strength, typically we're looking at a block periodization or a DUP, um, which there is some research comparing the two, and it may actually matter more in the bench than the squat based on a lot of research, which makes sense. And and in my own guess to it, just my theory as to why and and how this would apply to every uh, elsewhere inside of training period is that the ceiling is a lot higher for squat load typically, Um, and it may take longer before getting to a point where you require a lot of Detailed periodization. So for lifts that plateau sooner due to strength capacities, periodization may be needed sooner is basically what I'm getting at. So with this, what I mean is, you know, the, the difference in between um, DUP and block periodization didn't matter. And actually the people who did DUP uh, improved more in this study in bench and it didn't matter in squat. My guess is because somebody, a, a power lifter is probably going to reach their squat peak way later than a, a bench peak, in my opinion. Or the program length. So they're not doing this study for a year long, right? And they might be doing it for 12 to 24 weeks. You're probably going to see a closer or or you're going to get closer to your ultimate ceiling or plateau in the bench than the squat. Because, for example, I can bench 275 for three reps now. So I could probably bench 300 for one is probably my one rep max. Uh, My squat, I haven't really tested my full max because I squat ass to grass 335 for a few reps. So I could probably squat 400. That's a bigger max, but I haven't got there yet. Right. And, and, and it's a bigger load. It's, there's a higher injury risk. It's harder to spot. Like I have, ne- so there's just less likelihood of me pushing to that max, which means that it's going to be harder for me to tell if I need serious levels of periodization to reach that because it's just a further journey. That's my guess. But the point is, is DUP has, has tend to show uh, better results in most places. Um, In regards to strength, that's why a lot of people do it. And daily undulated periodization is the act of doing a higher frequency with different intensities. So block periodization takes blocks of time. So those mesocycles are different. So a lot of times it's a six-week mesocycle. So six times three. And, And it might change. So it might be six weeks four weeks two weeks right and that's like a typical it, as the like the mesocycles get shorter as you go further in the uh categories of block periodization but block periodization is exactly what it sounds you have blocks of different focuses so block one is typically accumulation and this might be that four to six week period where you're increasing a lot of volume generating a ton of volume trying to get build muscle is the goal Uh, Block two is going to be intensification. This is where we lower volume and increase intensity, very linear style, uh, and volume goes down, intensity goes up, getting closer to the strength ranges. This might be three to six weeks long. And then the intensification phase is, or I'm sorry, the realization phase is where you're peaking and you're testing. And this is going to be probably shorter, a lot more power movements. um, So you can keep it longer if you're doing more explosive work, but ultimately you're going to test your one rep maxes and kind of see what you're made of. This is the realization, right? Whereas daily undulated periodization, you might have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday bench, right? Day one is Monday. You do five by five strength, right? Or like anywhere between one to five reps, low rep, Low volume, high intensity, strength base. Day two, you're probably gonna do speed work, which is gonna be, you know, six sets of two to four at like 60 to 70%, and you're going for speed. So you might do. Uh, day one, you might do uh, conventional deadlift for three reps day, or like three to five reps, heavy load. Day two, Wednesday, you might do uh, speed sumo deadlift where you're doing a deadlift against bands with like 65% load. So really lightweight, still have adding band resistance. You're going for three reps. You could probably do more, but it doesn't matter because you're going for peak velocity and speed, trying to be explosive. And then day three, you might be doing an RDL, or another sumo, or a trap bar, or a rack pull, some other variation of deadlift, and you might be doing four sets of eight, just hypertrophy style, trying to give volume. On a bench press, you might do flat barbell bench press Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but it's just uh, you know five sets of two to th- one to three reps, six sets of three for speed, and then four sets of eight for hypertrophy. Uh, and that's what a daily undulated periodization is. So instead of taking months between Uh, intensities, you're doing it every week, which I'm a bigger fan of, especially for Gen pop people who have multifaceted goals or concurrent goals, which we'll finish with. But um, it's been shown to help with strength as well quite a bit. Uh, For hypertrophy, the progression model and periodization plan is typically going to be double progression model because what they've seen in research, and and I'll link this in there, is uh, periodization style doesn't seem to matter based on all the literature done on it. Uh, for hypertrophy. So what's important is the model of progression that you feel good with and continue to your plan, um, or continuing on your plan, you 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 can do it consistently and actually see progress and sustain a higher level of effort, right, of RPE, because that's super, super important. Um, but if we look at, so there's actually a study, um, and it's on Science Direct, and I'll link this in the show notes, but it's, should resistance training programs aimed at muscular hypertrophy be periodized, a systematic review of periodized versus non-periodized approaches. And this is a really cool one. Um, you can't get the full text unless you're subscribed there. But um, their conclusion was that it, it really didn't matter, right? They did a lot of different things. And in, in what they found in a meta-analysis and a systematic review, looking at a bunch of different studies, is that periodization really just didn't matter much with hypertrophy. Uh, but what does matter is probably... Periodization on a daily, weekly basis versus a monthly basis. So when they looked at a, a long-term periodization plan, we're talking things like linear progress, uh, block periodization, reverse linear, things like that. I would argue that a undulated model probably works best, or just focusing on a per session, per week periodization plan, which would be looking at progression. Because progression models still fall into periodization, because periodization by definition is just a scientific plan for training. So when we look at this, what it means is that you know, every session we should be looking at how we periodize it, which goes back to the, my method of sequencing your exercises. It means that we're, we're periodizing our exercises. So I might do a barbell overhead press on Monday. I should do a dumbbell overhead press, something a little bit different seated versus standing on Thursday when I do shoulders again. And I should do a lateral raise on Monday and then do an upright row on Thursday. So I'm, I'm periodizing my exercise selection to hit the muscle in different variations. And then I might do, you know, six to eight reps one day and then eight to 10 reps or 12 to 15 reps on one day. So you're periodizing your reps throughout the week, throughout the day. And we're staying in this double progression model, which is going to be best for hypertrophy. And it's, it's, it's the best because it's a way to accumulate more volume over time. And we know that volume is the biggest determiner of muscle growth, which means that if you're trying to change your body composition, even if your goal is fat loss or just getting lean and more defined, you're going to want to use a model that is favoring hypertrophy anyway, because that's quite literally the hypertrophy and in, in the way I'm explaining it is not just muscle growth, but it's the scientific term used for body composition improvements. Um, now, double progression model, for those who didn't listen last one or don't remember, it's taking a range of reps and working over the course of a mesocycle to uh, reach the higher end of the rep range with the same load. So what that means is that you might be doing eight to 10 reps on a dumbbell seated military press. In week one, I do three sets of eight with 50 pound dumbbells, and that's maybe as much as I can do on eight reps. Well, by week four, so the last week of the mesocycle, I'm hoping to be able to do three sets of 10 with that 50-pound dumbbell. So I didn't add any weight over the course of three to f- four weeks or during that mesocycle. Or you can determine how long your mesocycle is based on this double progression model. So you might stick with, um, which I don't do this typically. I don't do this in Taylor trainer because I know people get bored. But you could do this where you stick with the same load and exercise until you can reach the top end of that double progression model. Um, for some people, as you get more advanced, that just takes too long. But even if you went three sets of eight week one, then you went nine eight eight, then you went nine nine eight, and then you went 10, 9, 8, and then you went 10, 9, 9, and then you switch exercise. You didn't get to three sets of 10 yet, but you increased volume with that 50-pound dumbbell, and that's the double progression model, and that's, that's what's going to work best. Um, and then with concurrent training or goals, when you have multifaceted goals, maybe it's strength, metabolic conditioning, uh, hypertrophy, you kind of have all-around goals. Daily undulated periodization or weekly undulated periodization tends to be best. Um, It's also better for intermediate and advanced lifters. This isn't to say that it's not good for beginners, but it's probably just shown to be better for advanced and intermediate lifters because everything works for beginners, so it's hard to research what the best periodization model is for beginners because it's all going to work. And there's more evidence to support daily undulated periodization than weekly undulated periodization. However, I I also know there's more research done on Daily undulated versus weekly undulated. But either way, this is just a way of undulating your intensity. So again, going back to you're doing uh the same movement or same muscle group two to three times a week and you're changing the intensity. So week, you know, day one you might hit five reps, day two, you might hit ten reps. That's really all it is. Um and it's it's the best way to go, in my opinion. Now, that's outlines the rest of periodization and Progression Models, uh, piggybacking off our last podcast on this. And now we're gonna get into some of the finer details, which we should breeze through because they're really the least important things when it comes to training program design. And the first one is um looking at and just so you guys know, the rest of the, what we're going to talk about is tempo, rest periods, supersetting and things like supersetting and programming and then cardio. And that's uh, the finer details, quote unquote. And the reason these comes last in this discussion of program design in a four-part series is because they just don't matter as much. These are things that really just don't make that big of a difference and when we look at the science on tempo, rest, uh, whether or not you're supersetting things it's just not that impactful it's either neutral at best or it's it's not helping, right? So, um, I mean, it's usually neutral at best, And that sometimes it improves. And But when it improves something, it's a very specific scenario. And I'll get into that with like supersetting, for example. Uh, the first thing we'll cover is tempo. So, uh, tempo terms and definitions would be the first thing we want to lay out. And that's, um, you know, e- an eccentric phase or the negative. A lot of people use the word negative. That's in eccentric load. And the eccentric phase of a movement is the downward movement or the stretching movement, I should say, because sometimes it's not necessarily down. I think most of the time it is, but um, if you're doing like a tricep pushdown, it's actually up. However, um, this would be lowering the barbell on a bench press. This would be lowering your body into a squat, right? That downward movement is the eccentric phase. This is where we're stretching the muscle fiber. Um, we're stretching the muscle. We're usually going into a flexed position of the joint, and this is creating the stretched position. Um, not always, right? Because on a bicep curl, the stretch or the stretch position is actually an extended position. Uh, but when you're doing a curl, the stretch position is, is on the tricep. So the eccentric of a bicep curl would be the extension. But the point is it's the lowering of the movement, the downward, the negative. Next, we have concentric, which is positive, And it's quite literally the opposite of the eccentric. So on a bench press, this is not lowering, but pressing back up. This is not lowering into squat. It is squatting back up. And this is the concentric or the positive. And this is typically when we are shortening and contracting the muscle that we are targeting. Hey guys, I want to take a quick second to shout out the sponsor of this podcast, which is myself. It's my own app, the tailored trainer, which is the simple solution to actually looking like you lift. My goal with the Taylor trainer was to do just that. I had countless amount of people coming into our coaching to get nutrition guidance from us, and they needed training help as well. And I was tired of hearing people tell me, I don't look like I lift. I'm in the gym hours every week, I'm training hard, I'm pushing myself, I'm sweating my ass off, but I don't look like I work out. What is the deal? And the deal is simple. There isn't a periodized plan backing up the effort they're putting in the gym. They don't have progressive overload methods and metrics and measurements inside their programming that are going to guide them to the result they're after. which is why I wanted to create an app that did that for you. Not only does it have actually systemized programs that are effective for your goal, for your schedule, for your body type, and for your experience because there are tons of programs in there. That's why it's called the tailored trainer because you can literally tailor your training to your lifestyle and your schedule and your experience level but it's also going to have the software and the metrics inside to make sure that it's progressive and periodized without you even realizing it. You don't have to do anything and it is programmed properly to get you to progress, which is why I always tell people, stop aimlessly working out using influencers, Instagram posts and YouTube videos as your plan. Start actually tailoring the training process to you. And you can do that by downloading this app. It's less than $1 a day. And you can head over to tailoredtrainer.net to read more about it, see screenshots of the app live itself, see reviews from some of the people using it, and see a personal letter from myself as to why I created this app in the first place. So once again, head over to tailoredtrainer.net. Now, let's get back into the podcast. Uh, A tempo term that a lot of people use is x-x-x-x x sometimes just three and this is uh like for example a three two one two uh, tempo or even just a three two one tempo and what that is is negative pause positive pause or eccentric pause uh, or i could get more technical eccentric bottom range concentric top range so for example on a bench press three two one two tempo would be three seconds down two second pause one second up two-second pause at the top, so you're taking space in between. You might also see 3-2-X, right? And if you see 3-2-X, that's a three-second negative, two-second pause, and explosive rep up, then no pause at the top, Pause if you want there's no tempo there right that's why it's three two x now if you did three two x zero or three two x one it would be three seconds down two second pause, explosive up either one or no seconds at the top you're going right back into it um, but that's typically what you'll see is three dash two dash one dash two or two dash two dash two dash two so it's two seconds down, two second pause, two seconds up, two second pause um, and a good one to i think certain mo Movements, the, the pause at the top doesn't matter at all. That last number, because like a bench press. If you need a second at the top, take it. If you don't, don't. Uh, but an RDL, it might matter, right? Or a hip thrust, because we want to go into that stretch phase, take a pause, contract, like push through, contract, hold that contraction top, or an RDL, even. You're standing tall at the deadlift, lock out fully, squeeze your glutes, make sure you finish the rep, pause there, and then go back down. So a, a three, two, one, one tempo might matter there. Three second negative in the, in the RDL, two second pause at the bottom, one second up, one second pause, going back into it. Um, we have pauses. Obviously you're taking a pause at the top or the bottom of a movement. Um, this is encouraged for pausing in a deep range of motion to encourage, uh, flexing and stretching the muscle more. We have segmented reps, which is multiple pauses. So this would be, uh, if you have a three segment squat, this might be, uh, pausing at uh, halfway bottom and then halfway up so you're going you're you're squatting down and you pause halfway down for one second pause at the very bottom for one second pause halfway up at the uh on the way up and then finish the squat and then repeat um segmented reps can be good for creating control they're not going to create more hypertrophy or strength but if you have lack of control uh or flexibility, or you have uh, lack of um, flexibility in end ranges, or lack of range of motion, this might be helpful. If you're just trying to do something fun for your biceps, or something like that, you can do segmented reps, and it's just brutal, Uh, but they're not going to do much, and then partials would be the last thing in tempo, and partials aren't going to serve much of a purpose in uh, 99% of research on full range of motion versus partials. Full range of motion outperforms partials for strength, and hypertrophy, and flexibility of a muscle, so there's really there's not many reasons to do partials. The ones that I can think of is, um, doing a partial range of motion movement that is sport specific. Um, that would be like a box squat instead of a barbell squat, but you can do a full range of motion box squat. You know, I don't really consider that a partial because a box squat is a movement itself and it's designed to be partial because in your sport you might not be squatting ass to grass like in basketball. Um, the other time a partial might be, uh, Helpful is taking things beyond failure. So, if I'm doing curls, right, and I finish my last rep and I go down in the movement and I'm toast, I'm finished, but I might do like 10 quarter reps and I'm just like barely flexing my elbows to get my biceps activated. I'm just taking a set beyond failure. And I'm taking it beyond fatigue and just trying to burn out a muscle. And that can be useful to accumulate volume if you do it on the very last set and you don't have exercise at the end of your session, right? So if I'm doing, if I'm finishing my day with arms or or lateral raise or something that I can effectively do this, I might do partials at the very end because I've already done all the volume of the program and me doing partials and generating that extra metabolic fatigue isn't going to negatively impact anything because I'm going home. (laughs) I'm not doing exercises after those curls and that that's a situation where it might be effective. All right. So what does science say about tempo? Um, tempo doesn't really matter. You know, when volume is equated, um, however, it may be more effective for hypertrophy as long as it does not compromise total volume. Um, and there was one research study that kind of showed this and I'll link that in the show notes of this podcast too, just like everything else I'm using for this podcast. Um, and, and like, you know, the, the paper was called effective different eccentric tempos on hypertrophy and strength of the lower limbs. Um, and, and there's, you know, this is kind of splitting hairs in my, uh, in my opinion, but You know, I'll quote them in their conclusion. Our results suggest different eccentric durations produce similar increases in hypertrophy of the vastus lateralis and rectus femoris. However, the vastus medialis showed greater uh, growth from the slower eccentric duration. Eccentric duration did not differentiate, differentially affect strength-related adaptation. So um, tempo didn't affect strength at all. Tempo has never really shown to uh, um, affect strength too much. There's some studies, which I'll get into in a sec, um, that might make us believe the opposite of, of, you know, what most people think of tempo. Most people think tempo, but we might want to actually, uh, scratch slow tempo and go with fast tempo for strength. But, um, you know, a lot of people said tempo matter for hypertrophy, because if we slow down the negative, we're stretching the muscle fibers more, which creates more muscle damage. However, they've realized with a lot of research that muscle damage isn't a driver for hypertrophy necessarily. It's more of a, A proxy. So if you're not getting any muscle damage ever, you're probably not increasing your effort enough. But it's not directly what's you can create a lot of hypertrophy without a lot of muscle damage. So eccentrics don't matter too much. It can be a good mental or neurological tool to break through a plateau because you're just loading yourself up with more than you've ever loaded. And you can control a negative with more load than you can push through a positive or a, a concentric, right? So if I'm stuck on the bench press, I might overload it to a weight that I can't even lift by myself and get a spotter and do practice slow negatives and forced positives, um, uh, slow eccentrics where I control it down myself and then forced concentrics where somebody helps me get it up and I'm pressing as hard as I can. That can help break through a plateau. It's more neurological. Um, and there's not a lot of research proving it, but we've seen it in research and it might be just a mental thing. You know, you, you proved yourself like, damn, I can handle that load in a way. Um, but when they looked at, uh, you know, most research done that I've tried to dig through, it shows that when volumes equated, tempo just doesn't matter at all. Um, the the study that it did show it might matter and it may be more effective was the only one I can find that really showed that it might be more effective for hypertrophy, um, as long as it doesn't compromise total volume. So they had to make sure that if tempo dropped volume, it would rule this out, and that's the big key here, right? So if you're doing super slow negatives, if you're doing super slow concentrics, if you're changing your tempo it might lower your ability to accomplish more volume because your fatigue is higher. And just because your fatigue is higher and you feel more burn in the muscle, it doesn't mean you're growing more or building more muscle or anything. And in fact, it actually could mean the opposite because if it's fatiguing you to the point where you actually use less weight in the the preceding sets or you don't do as many sets or as many reps in the preceding sets because you're metabolically fatigued, you're actually gonna grow less than you would have if you would have not done the fancy tempo and you actually did more volume which is why sometimes tempos that people put in, they're doing it as a way to make somebody feel like it's intense, but if we're being transparent here, it's actually not always helpful. Um, And the reason I think that it it worked, if you look into the study and they're looking at different heads of the quadricep, I think that the slower eccentric group may have had a greater range of motion or a longer uh, tension or or time placed in tension on the stretch of that movement. Because if we look at the, the heads of the quad that did grow, I, it's going to be the head that is the most stretched during that eccentric component. So when you're at the very, very bottom of that leg extension and your quad is getting stretched maximally, if we slow that down, you might actually just be getting more of a stretch and we know that the stretch is part of muscle growth. So I think that if they did this on a different muscle group that, that could weed out that uh, range of motion and stretch component, I think we might actually see a different result and it not make a big difference. But that's a speculation um, based on just my experience. and knowledge of anatomy. Um, Now with strength, the purpose is to maximize the concentric, right? Pushing. Therefore, tempos may prevent strength gains due to less loading being performed per rep. Like I said, dropping the central nervous system drive to develop strength. Um, So it's hard to say, you know, Going slow might actually increase fatigue, meaning we can't lift as heavy after a couple sets, which means volume and our intensity drop, which means muscle growth and strength drop. The other side of the thing that we have to remember is that sometimes a faster eccentric works better because we want momentum. We want, this is why speed reps are good for generating central nervous system because speed and power increase central nervous system stimulation, which is going to increase neurological drive and a strength movement. So a fast eccentric where you're just more, going to drop in the bar faster, actually might be better for strength. Uh, another study showed no significant difference in quad growth when rep cadence, so eccentric and concentric was controlled three seconds down three seconds up, versus a group that did not control the tempo and just performed the lift. Uh, there was slightly more growth on the rectus femoris in the group not controlling tempo, which my guess would be because you don't need an exaggerated negative to fully stretch that portion of the muscle. So the exact opposite of that first one, Uh, But looking into the the detail of this, uh, it's also somewhat splitting hairs again. um, Best bet here is to practice a full range of motion whenever possible as that plays the largest role. So if you need to slow down in order to focus on the range of motion, you should. But doing a three-second negative and three-second concentric might feel like you're burning more, but it shows no difference in studies. And I would venture out to say it's probably gonna be worse because I can almost guarantee you're not going to be able to do as many reps with a three-second negative and a three-second concentric. Um, So in this study, if they let the people control the volume instead of the study controlling the volume, I'm sure the group that did not control the cadence of eccentric and concentric three and three seconds, I'm sure the group that didn't control that would have grown more because they probably would have been able to overload more, but they had to control the volume in the study just to make it equal. Um, And the last thing I would say is like the overloaded eccentrics, like I said, earlier were said to build muscle due to more muscle damage, but studies have shown otherwise. And I actually have a link in the description of this podcast that that shows this exact thing. And it's it's called, it's on PubMed, it's called Effects of Accentuated Eccentric Loading on Muscle Properties, Strength, Power, and Speed in Resistance-Trained Rugby Players. Um, and what they showed that, you know, there there isn't much difference. Um, so what we know here is that, like, overload eccentrics, We're said to build muscle, but studies show others. We we know that it's just not true. Um, Now, how do we apply this? Practical application of tempo. I think the best way to use them is use them to build motor control, movement quality, uh, rehab a muscle or joint, avoid injury or as an intensification technique, primarily for motivation and enjoyment, not for literal science-based results. This is why I said, you know, partials. Slow tempos, those things. Do it for the last exercise of your day. That way it's not going to affect anything else. Um, Or use tempos as a way to improve quality and and build motor control. So if somebody doesn't have the best squat, somebody doesn't know how to practice a full range of motion and movement, use tempos to control the movement better to make sure that they're not uh, going too fast, they're not rushing the movement, they're not hurting their joints, they're not doing anything improperly, and they can actually slow down and focus on how to execute the exercise properly. All right, next we have rest periods. Um... And this is, this is going to be pretty simple. They really don't matter, right? If we're talking about metabolic conditioning, they do matter, and we're going to save that for another day because if we're considering heart rate variability, we're considering metabolic conditioning, quite literally, aerobic capacity, anaerobic. Like, all these things are based on time intervals, so the energy system you're using is dependent on the duration. Your ability to stay within that energy system is dependent on the rest period. Um, your progression model, a lot of times, is, is based on the duration and the rest period and the interval. So those things do matter for conditioning, but we're not talking about conditioning here. And what science actually says is intuition is best. So this was a really cool study. They did, and they basically let people self-determine. So it's called variability and impact of self-selected interset rest periods during experience strength training. And what they found is that uh, interset rest periods can be self-selected, and, and you know reliably to complete strength training and, and heavy squat protocols, um, but power output may decline during the set, especially if you are decreasing, so if somebody's rushing through that's the problem and what they found is that three to five minutes tend to be the most optimal range um, so if, when when you look deep and deep into the study um You know, for strength, it didn't matter as much. It's more about when you feel good, which tend to be with based on people's intuition was three to five minutes. And for hypertrophy, um, longer is actually better. So there was another study comparing this. And this is like a really good one because a lot of people used to assume that the best rest periods for hypertrophy were like 30 to 60 seconds. Um, And and the problem with that is that, um, you know, with with those kind of research studies, uh, I'm sorry, with those kind of... uh, rest periods, you have a lot of lactate accumulation. You have a lot of metabolite. uh, So a lot of, it feels like metabolic fatigue because you have a lot of lactate present. You feel that burning sensation. Your muscle is super pumped and we assumed better pump, more muscle fullness, better growth, right? Well, they did a study that showed 30, 60, and 120 seconds. So half a minute, full minute, and two minutes. And all the, every single one of them was equal, right? From a, a lactate perspective. So all showed similar results with lactate uh, accumulation because lactate levels take longer to decrease, which makes sense. So um, you might feel more of a burn in 30 seconds, but it's just because it's relatively sooner. But that lactate is still just as present and present enough for growth at 120 seconds. So you can take two minutes between a hypertrophy set and not 30 seconds, maybe not feel that burn as much and still get just as much of the benefit from a metabolic damage, metabolic fatigue, accumulation of lactate, all those kind of things that lead to hypertrophy and growth and and that burning sensation. You'll get the same benefit at two minutes that you would 30 seconds, even though you feel it more at 30 seconds. And this is also good because the longer we rest, the stronger we are based on the last study. So in combination, we know for hypertrophy um, volume, because if we have more weight on the bar, which we would be able to do with a longer rest period, we'd be able to um, sustain higher volume. So um, all the, the 30, 60, 120 seconds, they all showed the same with lactate because lactate takes longer to decrease, but worse, performance, uh, worse results with performance in the shorter rest periods, which makes sense after everything we've talked about and because ATP resynthesis and pH uh, restoration balance tend to happen at a faster rate. So the study showed exactly why longer rest intervals tend to be better for hypertrophy than shorter intervals because with shorter rest periods, volume and load just drop off quicker and you're just unable to do as much work. Um, And metabolic stress placed on the muscle didn't change between 30 seconds and two minutes. So we're going to get the best of both worlds if we take both. So Rest periods, I always, I've always told people to be more intuitive with it, and I think that's the best practical impl- implementation. But if we want to get very specific, here's what I would say. Three to five minutes on compound lifts, one to three minutes on accessories, one to two minutes on isolation exercises, and zero to 30 seconds between antagonist supersets. So if you're going from a bench press to a row, you can take zero to 30 seconds to jump into that next one. Um, now, next we have supersets uh, and all kinds of variations of those things. And there's, there's not a lot of literature on this stuff. There is on supersets. Um, but we have supersets, trisets, giant sets. We have EMOMs, um, E O M O M. So every other minute, um, and then EDTs and AMRAPs. And the reality is, is, you know, I've dug through the research on this and I'm just kind of encompass it with one thing. It is neutral at best, if not disadvantageous. So if you're doing a superset, it is advantageous only if you were doing an antagonist superset and it, A, saves you time. Therefore, you can do more volume because if you're saving time throughout the week and you're not in time crunch, you can get more done while you're in the gym. And two, there's times where it might draw blood flow away from that muscle so that you can do the opposite. So example of this is they saw better growth in quads and hamstrings when they did a leg extension superset with a leg curl, right? And they say they saw the same thing when they did a bicep curl with a tricep extension. Um, And research showed this, and my guess on why is because when I do a bicep curl and I have all that blood in the muscle, but then I do a tricep extension, I'm actually stretching the bicep, which we know is one component of muscle hypertrophy, and two, I'm drawing blood away from the the bicep, which makes it fresher again, which means I can do more volume on the next set. And now that we know it's less about blood volume and, and that burn and metabolic damage or fatigue in the muscle, and it's more about total volume, We want to do whatever we can to increase volume, which is going to be saving time and recovering the muscle while still getting a stretch reaction to it. So there's some times where supersets make a a good point. And supersets are really just doing two exercises back to back. So you could do a sit-up and a plank. You could do a sit-up and a, a farmer's walk. You can do a sled pull and a farmer's walk. You can do a glute ham raise and a leg extension. You can do a bicep curl and a tricep curl. An antagonist superset is when we do opposites. So this is where we would do a leg extension and a leg curl. This is where we would do a bicep curl and a tricep extension. These tend to be the most advantageous of them. Trisets are most likely going to be for um, full upper body days, and you got to combine some similar muscle groups here because you could do like, for example, a good one I like is a dumbbell bench press followed by a chest supported row targeting your lats and then a chest supported uh, rear delt fly or, uh, or trap like reverse fly or a face pull getting the trap. So now we're hitting our chest uh, and, and triceps. We're hitting our lats and biceps and then we're hitting our upper back and rear delts. That's a great one. Or a full body one could be a dumbbell reverse lunge superset with a push up and a TRX row. These can be effective in a full body session. But again, what we have to remember is when you combine these exercises like back to back to back and you're starting to get more complicated with these in a tricep, for example, like I just said, three in a row. We're increasing fatigue from a metabolic perspective. Our heart rate goes up. Our oxygen is con- consumption is going up. Our, our Everything is increasing from a metabolic conditioning perspective, which may not be what we need or want during a strength training workout that is geared towards building strength and hypertrophy. Therefore, it might slow us down from doing as much because we're getting fatigued by the heart rate and the metabolic. Um, a giant set is something where we do three or more of the same, or, or same muscle group in different exercises. So a... Dumbbell bench press supersetted with a – or I'm sorry. Let's say like an inclined, dum, uh, inclined dumbbell bench press supersetted with a dumbbell floor press supersetted with a push-up supersetted with a fly of some sort. Three to five exercises that are all focused on the chest old school bodybuilding technique that was geared towards driving as much blood flow and damage to the muscle um and it's just ineffective and it increases injury risk because your tendons and ligaments are getting a lot of stress there too versus a push pull superset which is using opposite muscles and tendons and ligaments so it's, it's actually going to promote better recovery versus this is going to increase injury risk in my opinion overuse injury especially to tendons ligaments muscles um it's an old-school bodybuilding technique that was generated for, like, let's get the gnarliest pump we can. But we know after everything I've just talked about, that just doesn't matter as much. We need more volume, and this is quite literally going to drive volume down. Um, EMOM and EOMOMs, so every minute on the minute or every other minute on the minute, it's a good technique for conditioning. But, again, this, this can be a fun way to train. Um, it can be a good way to increase uh, you can do things that are are maybe not peaking your strength capacities, but bu- building your ability to recover from strength bouts. So, for example, I did a 10 minute email on, on the trap bar deadlift when I was in San Diego, um, and we put like uh, 70 to 80 percent of our one rep max, I think, on the bar, and just did one rep on the minute every minute for 10 minutes. By minute 10, that felt like a one rep max. Trust me. But um, we do that as a way to increase our ability to perform strength measurements, So it's not something that's going to increase my strength because fatigue goes through the roof. But in that setting, I might be focused on fatigue. It's a great way to set up conditioning exercises um, and create a tempo, keep people on schedule, stuff like that. It's great for classes, boot camps. Um, Obviously, CrossFit uses it a bunch, but CrossFit's – CrossFit's goal a lot of times is not just building maximal strength. It's expressing near maximal strengths in a fast fashion, so it makes sense for that. For other people, it doesn't make as much sense. It's just a fun way to program. And the same goes for EDTs and AMRAPs. Um, AMRAP is as many reps as possible. So you might have eight minutes doing as many reps as possible of three exercises in eight minutes. And EDT is the same exact thing. It's called escalated density training. It was around way before AMRAPs um, in the strength world. And in my opinion, it's just I use EDT more often because I think it's a way for me to slow people down. So if I say AMRAP, you're like thinking, Go, 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 go. Now your reps are rushed. Your cadence is rushed. Your performance is probably going to be subpar because you're just getting through it as fast as you can. I would rather have people slow down. And with that, I'm going to tell them EDT. It's like control the movements, you know. Um, so there we have it. Supersets, sets, giant sets, EMOMs, every other minute on the minute, EDTs, AMRAPs, all of which can be fun, cool ways to program, but none of them are really going to be beneficial for actual actually seeing results outside of just making it exciting and fun. And if that pushes you and challenges you to do more and be more effective in your workout because you're pushing harder, you're motivated. Great. Otherwise supersets are really the only ones. And that's when it's an antagonist antagonist superset. The last thing we have on today is aerobic training, uh, but I'm not going to talk about it today. It's a very, very long and detailed topic that would probably need four part series as well, because the benefits are endless. I mean, um, obviously calorie expenditure, Then we have cardiovascular health, longevity of life, improved oxidative system, increased recovery abilities between strength bouts, um, work capacity, so you're able to maintain higher outputs for longer. Um, It helps you balance intensities throughout the week. If you're doing high intensity, low intensity, you actually have mitochondrial adaptations, which help energy production. So that's like some systematic stuff deep inside the cell, um, obviously energy system and metabolism enhancement, you build your immune system and your ability to fight off disease. So there's a lot with that. So we'll save that for a separate series or podcast. Um, and we'll wrap it up here today at the, at the super set, you know, gi- giant set, EMOM, that kind of talk. Um, Guys, this is the last part. I hope you really enjoyed this. I hope you're going through this. I hope that you're looking at the research studies I'm dropping in the descriptions. And once again, please do me a huge favor. If you enjoy this podcast, if you like these series, tell me about it, leave us a five-star rating review, share it on Instagram, share it with a friend. Make sure you click the Ask Boom Boom link in the description of this podcast and let us know what you want us to talk about next because we make this podcast for you and there's nothing I like more than getting a topic that really speaks to the listener and for me to be able to dive deep into every single aspect of it, which I feel I did really good here today. So guys, I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next series that we have coming. This is a wrap for program design.